0: Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 605 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And that song you are hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And the Rangers coming off of a highly disappointing Game 5 performance against the Carolina Hurricanes, losing 3-1 on the road, and now trailing three games to two in the series. The good news about this is that, as we all know, this Ranger team in the regular season and certainly in the postseason, tends to be at its absolute best when it's got its backs against the wall. And certainly that is the case right now. The Rangers once again facing elimination. They faced elimination three times in the first round against the Penguins. Won all three of those games, uh, all three of them in very dramatic fashion, in fact. And so uh, it's familiar territory for this team. They're not facing anything that they haven't faced in the past, although I would argue that certainly uh, the Carolina Hurricanes Definitely a better team than the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, when you just look at the overall, you know, structure and the the way that the team is built, I think, uh, you know, coming back against the Canes is a little bit more of a daunting task than coming back against the Penguins, although it was 3-1 against the Penguins. It's just 3-2 against the Canes, and the Rangers will be home for game six. And as we know, uh, the Canes, it's— Just bizarre, because not only are they undefeated at home in the playoffs, not only are they winless on the road, they look like two different teams. I feel like I'm watching two different series being played. You know, the the series that's being played when the Rangers are on the road, and the series that's being played when they're at home in Madison Square Garden. It was like night and day comparing Game 4 and Game 5 here. Rangers in complete control of Game 4, Canes in complete control of Game 5, and something that I kind of want to go back to that I talked about earlier in this series after Game 2 which I thought was the Rangers' worst performance of the series. Game two, you know, game one, they were all right. They just came up a little short and lost in overtime. Game two was rough. Game five tonight was probably even rougher, and Gerard Gallant would certainly agree with those sentiments. He said as much after the game in his presser, you know, saying the Rangers were just kind of reaching for pucks and basically just got away from their game. I'm paraphrasing there, obviously. But yeah, you know, very similar to what happened in game two, the Ranger star players were just nowhere to be found in game two, and they were nowhere at all to be found in this game here tonight. You know, I was hopeful that the Rangers could go in there and put their best foot forward and basically just pick up where they left off in game four. You know, if they had played the way that they did in game four, I think you can go in there and, uh, you know, steal a road game and be in a spot where you're going back to Madison Square Garden hoping to deliver the knockout blow as it is. They're going to have to win in the Garden just to keep their season alive. But again, you know, you look at the Rangers star players here, and— Just too many guys not playing their best brand of hockey. Too many guys that are turning the puck over. Too many guys that are borderline invisible when they're out there on the ice. I mean, you look at all the usual suspects. You've got Artemi Panarin. Now, Panarin, if nothing else, he had an assist on the Ranger power play goal, an excellent pass to Mika Zibanejad, setting up Mika uh, for the one-timer there that tied the game late in the first period. So that was a big moment. But besides that, rough night for Panarin. You know, too many giveaways, too many uh, hope passes from Artemi Panarin. It just seems like... There's times where he's even just struggling to simply hang on to the puck. And when you look at the end result of this game, Artemi Panarin ends up with exactly zero shots on goal. He actually blocked four shots, which is kind of interesting. You don't really expect that from Panarin. But yeah, he's just not himself. I mean, I think for the most part of this playoffs, Artemi Panarin just is not looked like his old self, and I realize, you know, it's the playoffs. He's not the biggest guy out there. Every inch of the ice is contested, especially when you're playing an excellent defensive team such as the Carolina Hurricanes, but Artemi Panarin just does not look like uh, perennial all-star Artemi Panarin. At least he hasn't really with any consistency. There have been flashes here and there, and he's had, you know, his moments. Obviously, the Game 7 overtime winner, he's gotten some points here and there, but just not the dominant, complete player that we're so used to watching for really ever since he got to the New York Rangers. So uh, he scuffled, obviously. Uh, you look at his linemate, Ryan Strom, he struggled as well. You know, it was just kind of a, another night where there's just too many shifts where you barely even know that he's out there. Now, Strom did have a little bit of a bad break because in the second period, as you guys who watch this game probably remember, it looked like Strom had given the Rangers the lead, despite the fact that they were mostly being outplayed to that point in the game. But basically what happened, Puck's in the neutral zone. It goes back into the Kane zone and Andrew Cop is trying to get out of the cane zone so that he's onside. Strom touches the puck uh, before Cop can clear the zone, and then, you know, Strom tried to pass over to Cop and pass misfired, but it actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. Came right back to Ryan Strom, and Strom shot and went five-hole, I believe it was, but either way, beat Antiranta and appeared to give the Rangers a two-to-one lead at that point, but they review the play. It's offside. It gets overturned, and you know when it rains, it pours. It's been a Tough postseason at time for a lot of these Ranger players, perhaps none more so than Ryan And You think he's got a a big goal, a big moment here, and it's just not meant to be. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, again, there's just too many uh, shifts where you barely notice that he's out there. He's just kind of a ghost. Uh, You look at Chris Kreider. What is going on with Chris Kreider? You know, Kreider, an unbelievable regular season for this team we know about the 52 goals he had never even scored 30 goals in a playoff series before he becomes this dominant net front presence in the regular season nobody can you know move him out of the crease he basically just sets up shop there does whatever he wants scores on all these deflections uh scores on these rebound opportunities when the puck is loose in the uh in the in the crease there and in this series, you know, he's just not the net front present that we're used to seeing him be. And uh, he was a ghost in this game. I, of all the Rangers star players, the guy that I think I noticed less than anybody was probably Chris Kreider. I mean, it, it's shocking, really. I mean, because, you know, and I realize the Canes are a great defensive team, and certainly you have to give some credit to them. They got back and kind of rediscovered their game and did the things that they wanted to do in the This contest here, this Game Five matchup here tonight, but Chris Kreider, man, you gotta force the issue a little bit. This guy is a big, strong, powerful, fast forward, and you just didn't really see any of that in this game here tonight. He was just kind of, uh, he was just kind of there, and you just didn't notice him very often. So Mika Zibanejad, I mean, I I thought he was a little bit better than some of the players that I just mentioned. You know, I mean, he's at least going to give you a solid defense out there. He logs some time on the penalty kill as well. He obviously scored the Rangers' lone goal on the one-timer. Just an absolute snipe of a slap shot there. Tied the game for the Rangers in the first period. But again, you know, was Mika Zibanejad at his absolute best in this game? I would have to say no. Uh, You look at Frank Vetrano, you know, he's got an opportunity back on the top line with Mika and with Kreider. He puts zero shots on net. And again, I realize the Canes are tough. They just play such good defense. They make you fight for every single inch of the ice. And for the most part, for the majority of this game, the Canes were playing with a lead. And they've got you right in the palm of their hand uh, when, when they're playing with a lead. They're just right in their element. And, you know, something else, we'll, we'll get back to discussing the Rangers star players in just a second here. But as a quick aside, I think the Rangers can probably learn a couple of lessons from the Carolina Hurricanes when it comes to how to play with a lead. Now, I don't want to kill the Rangers for how they played with a lead in, well, really any of the games, games one, three, or four. They lost game one. They won games three and four because, you know, there were times where they were defending pretty well, and in game four they gave up basically no opportunities to the Canes down the stretch in that game. But the Rangers seem to have this tendency to kind of sit back and try to just, you know, play defense in front of Igor Shesterkin, which, as we've talked about in the past, in theory, it's not a terrible idea, but in practice, you know, you're basically contesting or excuse me, you're not contesting offensive zone time as far as, you know, your opponents being able to set up shop in your side of the rink and potentially create scoring opportunities. Sooner or later, they're going to possibly convert on one of those scoring opportunities and The Rangers, for one reason or another, when they've got the lead, they tend to sit back and and just kind of go into this little cocoon, whereas the Canes, when they have a lead, uh, they're still on the attack. You know, the third period there, the Canes, when they were protecting the lead, whether they were up by one goal, which they were for most of the third period, or up by two goals, which they were for the final seven minutes, they were in there hard on the forecheck, grinding along the boards, doing everything they could to win these puck battles, still looking to create some offense even. Uh, Obviously, there's an emphasis on defense, but... They're so strong on the boards, and they're so strong in the forecheck, and they use that offense as a defense because it's pretty tough for the Rangers to score when they're 130 or 140 feet away from the Canes' net, and the Canes just basically uh, kept the pedal to the metal, and that's how they were able to, you know, basically uh, just control this game down the stretch here. I realize, you know, the Rangers were only down by one goal for the most part in the third period, and as a Ranger fan, you're staying optimistic, and you're telling yourself, hey, you know, yeah, they're outplaying us but we're down by one goal. We're one chance away from potentially knotting up this score, one lucky bounce away from, you know, the score being tied, but the Canes again, it just felt like they were in total control. Uh basically ever from the moment that uh, Tevo Taravainen gave them the lead about midway through the second period there. But we're just getting warmed up here. going to continue talking about all the highlights and lowlights from this game. I'm also going to talk about why I don't think the Rangers are anywhere close to being cooked yet. Obviously, backs against the wall, and you're back in the must-win territory. Game six at Madison Square Garden, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. And uh, again, I, I think the Rangers... You'd be a fool to you know, think that they're just completely done at this point, based on everything that we've seen all season, really, and certainly in the postseason as well. So we're going to get to all that good stuff in just a second. But first, just want to let everybody know, today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, and I wanted to see what all the hype was about. I've been on it for several months and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It kind of has a mild, tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So, what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you are absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it is cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I just want to thank you guys once again for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts. All right, so we just talked about how some of the Ranger forwards, you know, clearly just didn't step up in this game, didn't have their A game. Use whatever phrase you want to use; they simply were not at their best. And you know, you see the end result of it: the Rangers losing this game three to one and uh, creating precious few scoring opportunities, and of course, only scoring the one goal. They were also outshot thirty-four to seventeen in this game. And I realize shots on goal; it's not always the end-all, be-all. It doesn't always tell you the exact story. But I think in this game right here, it tells you exactly what went on in this game. The Canes; it absolutely felt like had twice as many shots on goal as the Rangers, and probably twice as many scoring opportunities as well. But, you know, we talked about some of the Ranger forwards. I want to also kind of turn the attention to a couple of the Ranger defensemen, namely Jacob Truba and Adam Fox. You know, these are supposed to be the two guys on the Ranger Blue line. Obviously, it's a very young, very inexperienced group, especially as it pertains to the Stanley Cup playoffs. But Jacob Truba is obviously the guy that they brought in here. He's got the big money contract, uh, somebody that, you know, supposedly might even be in the mix as far as uh, next Ranger captain if they ever do, in fact, name a new captain. And that's a different conversation for a different day. Certainly, that's something that we'll talk about in the offseason quite a bit. But. Yeah, he's supposed to be, you know, one of the guys, one of the leaders on this team. And then Adam Fox, of course, you know, he just got the big money deal as well. He's the reigning Norris winner. And Fox has had a good postseason. I don't know that he's had a best defenseman in the NHL type of a postseason. I think that's probably a a pretty fair assessment as far as how Fox played or has played so far in these playoffs, but there's two plays in particular that we got to talk about here because both of them led directly to Carolina Hurricanes goals, and if either Truba or Fox had made a better play on these two respective goals by the Canes, the goals probably never happened. Of course, the first one occurred when the Rangers were on the power play in the first period. And it was interesting because the Raiders' second power play unit has looked a little bit better recently and scored a goal not too long ago. And, you know, I think they were maybe being rewarded here with a little bit extra ice time. They actually jumped onto the ice with uh, about a minute left in the second power play. Now, part of the reason for that is that, You know, it certainly seemed like it was a convenient time to switch lines. Uh, You know, the the puck had just been cleared by the Canes, and, you know, the the second power play unit was going to go out there. But by that same token, you know, we've seen a lot of power plays for the Rangers where that wouldn't necessarily happen right then and there in that spot. But the, you know, Ranger coaching staff wanted to give them a chance. They put them on the ice, and you've got Jacob Truba going through the neutral zone, gaining the blue line, and trying to basically just skate right through every single penalty killer on the Carolina Hurricanes, and it didn't work. The puck got poked away from him, and then it results in a two-on-one for the Carolina Hurricanes. You've got Stahl making an excellent pass across the ice to his right to Vincent Trocheck, who tips it in for, from the doorstep and scores a shorthanded goal. There were only about seven or eight seconds left on the Ranger power play there, but uh, again, this was not a good play by Jacob Truba, and we'll actually get to that in just a second but first of all let me also just mention that uh, Keandre Miller a valiant attempt here trying to break up the pass. He went down on his stomach looked like he was going to be able to uh you know smother the pass by Stall but Stall with just a little bit better of a pass a saucer pass lifting it up off the ice getting it over to Trocheck Perfect pass. Trocheck's in perfect position, and he tips it in past Igor Shosturkin. But Truba on this, yeah, I'm just not sure what he was doing. I mean, the Canes are so good at kind of stacking their players up in the blue line and, and forcing you to kind of, you know, just veer away or, you know, have to dump the puck. I, I think the right play here, Truba's got to either just fire the puck at the net, and then, you know, maybe the Rangers can get, you know, a big rebound or something, or, you know, maybe Ronta holds the puck. But, you know, he freezes the play, and you've got an offensive zone faceoff forthcoming, or he's got to just dump the puck in behind the net and let the Rangers go back there and go to work. He tried to basically just, you know, skate right through all of the Canes' penalty killers, and it resulted in a turnover, resulted in an odd-man rush, resulted in a one nothing lead for the Carolina Hurricanes, the second shorthanded goal the Rangers have permitted in this uh, playoff series against the Carolina Hurricanes. So that was not good by Truba. And then as for Adam Fox, this one wasn't quite as egregious as the Truba play because this wasn't really a turnover. This was just Adam Fox uh, misplaying uh, a situation where the puck was in the neutral zone. So basically uh, you've got Pesci, you know, working the puck out of the Kane zone. This is in the third period, uh, about seven minutes left in the game. Rangers still down two to one at this point. But yeah, Pesci working the puck out of the zone. Neat just kind of deflects it along the boards around the Carolina blue line. He's moves it toward the center of the ice with this deflection here. And Andre Svechnikov picks it up in stride and, you know, basically won the 50-50 puck away from Adam Fox right around the red line there. And I don't know what Fox was doing here. Uh, it looked like on the replay, you know, maybe the puck took a little bit of a bad bounce and that's why Fox wasn't able to corral it. But I don't know, it was weird. It was like Fox didn't know whether to go for the intercept or, you know, maybe try to take the body and just kind of, you know, make some contact with Svechnikov and break the play up that way, or just kind of hold his ground and stay back and be one-on-one with Svechnikov after Svechnikov received the pass. So what you got was like a hybrid of all three strategies, and it just didn't work for Fox here, obviously, because, uh, yeah, just just indecisiveness. Indecisiveness on the part of Adam Fox, he certainly could have been able to defend this one a little bit better than he did. And, basically just takes himself right out of the play with that indecisiveness, and now Sveshnikov is behind the defense. He's got a breakaway against Igor Shosturkin and makes a quick move on the doorstep, goes five-hole with the backhand, and scores to make it 3-1 to one Canes, and there is just 6.59 to go in the game at this point. Now, obviously, you're down by two goals with seven minutes left. Not completely impossible, but against this Canes team, it can certainly feel that way. Against this Canes team, Being down by two goals feels like you're down by six goals, and that kind of leads me into something else that I want to talk about, uh, a big key that I think is just going to be absolutely huge for game six for the Rangers, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but first, just want to let everybody know, today's episode of Locked on New York Rangers is brought to you by betonline.net. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, eSports, and more. Head to the website today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, in due time here, we're going to talk about some of the keys to the Rangers potentially winning game six back in Madison Square Garden. We will get to that, uh, like I said, probably toward the end of today's episode when we wrap up. Uh, but there was one that I have to get to right here, right now, because uh, what I was just talking about a minute ago kind of led me into it. And one of these big time keys for game six, the Rangers absolutely, positively must score for First in game six. Now, of course, you can hear that, and you might say, well, of course, you always want to score first in every single game. Uh, that's not any different now than it would be, you know, regular season, preseason, whatever it might be. That's true to an extent. But again, think about this Carolina Hurricanes team and think about what the Rangers are up against. Think about how. And again, I don't want to say hopeless because it's never hopeless when you're only down by one goal. You're just one scoring opportunity away from potentially tying it. But the Kings just play so well when they have a lead. They just suffocate you defensively, they give you nothing. And as I talked about earlier, and in our locked on now video that we did, they have a way with their team defense of making your superstar players look just very, very ordinary. And so I think, you know, and on top of that, you know, you're home at the garden, you're facing elimination. These Ranger fans are not going to give up. They saw what this team did in the uh, preceding round, you know, winning games 5, 6, and 7 against the Penguins, including games 5 and 7 at home. So nobody's giving up here, but that crowd needs a reason to come alive, to, to get into the game. And if the Canes score early and start suffocating the Rangers with this excellent team defense that they play, it could take the crowd out of it a little bit as well. So uh, scoring first, Against the Canes in Game Six, it's going to be absolutely huge. Even bigger than scoring the first goal of the game, typically is uh, in any other you know playoff series against any other playoff opponent. It's absolutely going to be huge in this game uh, against Carolina here. Something else that kind of bothered me about this game uh, earlier tonight here, Game Five, is that you know the Canes didn't get off to I would say the best start. I mean, they're at home, obviously they got the the home crowd. They they play very well there, but they took two absolutely terrible penalties in the first period. Both of them were undisciplined, and both of them were in the offensive zone. And if you're the Rangers, you really, really want to make them pay for stuff like this. I mean, you've got Svechnikov cross-checking Tyler Mott from behind, sitting him headfirst into the boards. Uh, they actually called this boarding as opposed to cross-checking. I mean, take your pick. It really could have been either one. Um, but the Rangers weren't able to score there in just a completely anemic First power play of the game for the Rangers, I mean, they didn't even come close to making you think that they had a chance to score on their first power play in this game. And again, that's after Svechnikov, you know, drives Mott basically headfirst into the boards and the Rangers just can't do anything with that opportunity. And then later in the first period, you've got Jacob Truba taking a cross check from behind from Cole. And again, both of these penalties occurred in the offensive zone, and you really, really want to be able to make the Canes pay for it. Now, of course, the Rangers, uh, on the the second penalty, the one that was called against Cole, they did score on that power play. In fact, they scored just five or six seconds into it. They win the faceoff. Mika gets it to Panarin by winning the faceoff. Panarin back to Fox. Fox back to Panarin. Panarin over to Mika uh, for that one-timer goal that they've connected on so many times. But... You know, again, you want to make them pay for these penalties more than the Rangers made them pay, and you want it to fire up your team a little bit, and I don't think it really did that either. You know, the Rangers, the temperature was kind of down in this game for one reason or another. Everything was so nasty in games 3 and Game 4. You know, the intensity was off the charts in Game 4, and it really wasn't, it didn't feel that way in this game, Game 5 here tonight, and that's despite the fact that, again, you know, the Canes taking dumb penalties and the case of Svetchikov, uh hitting Mott, you know, kind of a dangerous penalty there as well. But that just didn't seem to get the Rangers fired up. And, you know, ultimately on this night, the Rangers lose the special teams battle because yeah, both teams went one for two on the power play, but the Canes got a shorthanded goal after the aforementioned penalty that Svechnikov took uh, boarding Tyler Mott there. So the Canes won the special teams battle and they win the game right along with it. And again, I just wish the Rangers would have kind of found that next gear found that little bit of extra fire that, you know, you would hope they would have after certainly the Svechnikov penalty and to a lesser extent the penalty on Cole as well. So a couple of keys for the Rangers potentially winning game six. We already talked about uh, the need to score first in that game. Not that they can't possibly win if the Canes get the first goal, but man, you just start to dig a hole for yourself if you give up the first goal of this game to the Carolina Hurricanes. you got to be playing with the lead here and uh, not let the Canes you know, settle into their comfort zone, so to speak. Uh, I think on top of that, special teams battle going to be absolutely huge. It is in every game, but if you look at this series, not once has a team won the special teams battle, but lost the series, and that kind of held true in this game here tonight. Like I said, both teams won for two on the power play, but the Canes also had a shorthanded goal uh, when the Rangers were on the man advantage. So, yeah, that's obviously going to be huge in this one as well, and obviously the Rangers have to do a nice job of hopefully just staying out of the penalty box, play discipline hockey, play smart, uh, bring the fire. I think the Rangers, they are at their best when they're playing with a lot of intensity, and we saw the intensity just be off the charts in Game 4. Ryan Reeves was out there, you know, mixing it up with Tony D'Angelo, mixing it up with Max Domi. The crowd was eating it up every single second of it. Ryan Reeves was basically nowhere to be found in this game, and... That leads me to another thing that I want to talk about, actually. We, we should talk about that right here, right now. So, I understand why the Rangers, you know, move Tyler Mott up and move Capo Caco down. You know, Mott's played well. I mean, he's somebody that's a little bit of a buzzsaw, a uh, great defensive forward for the New York Rangers, but I'm about ready for a kid-line reunion because this— trio at times in the playoffs has been very, very good. There have been stretches where they've been the Rangers' best line and I think you got to give them one more chance together uh, to, to try to save this season for the New York Rangers and just do everything that they can. Tyler Mott, you know, in some ways I almost feel like he's too good to just be a fourth liner, but you guys saw earlier in the playoffs, Tyler Mott, uh, when he's been out there, obviously he missed the first five games against the Penguins, but Tyler Mott elevates that fourth line. Everything just seems to move a little bit faster when he's on the ice, and I think he just makes the other guys, you know, that being Rooney and Reeves, a little bit better, to the point that you think that they might even score a goal, and obviously they spend uh, a ton of time in the attacking zone as well when Mott's out there, or at least they have at certain points in this playoffs. I also like Mott as kind of, you know, the Swiss Army Knife, he's somebody that you can kind of move around the lineup as the game progresses on an as-needed basis. If you're in a situation late in the game where you're up by a goal and you want a little bit more defense and throw Mott up on that top line with Kreider and Mika, and you can drop Frank Vitrano down. Uh, not that Vetrano is like this tremendous defensive liability, but Mott is an outstanding defensive forward. So I like Mott you know, start him on the fourth line. If you feel the need to kind of move him around as the game goes, then by all means do it. Uh, but I got to see this kid line back together. Uh, they're all three of these guys. I am mean, certainly Caco and Lafreniere and maybe Heedle as well. Big, big part of the Ranger future. There's no time like the present. They are getting invaluable playoff experience. And I think, you know, if you're going to go down, which I don't think the Rangers are, I think they're going to win game six. But if you're going to go down, go down swinging and go down with this line that again, has played very, very well for you for the majority of the playoffs. Capo Caco right now is not getting a lot of ice time, and it's going to be tough for him to do a whole lot offensively when he's out there with, you know, Rooney and Reeves. Put him back with his guys, put him back with the other kids, and let him try to drive the play and keep plays alive in the offensive zone like he was doing uh, at times, other times in this playoffs. And again give them a chance. You got to give Capocacco another chance with the other kids with whom he obviously played very well for, you know, again, a good chunk of this postseason run here. And On top of that, you need some more offense. You know, the Rangers have been held to one goal or fewer in three of the five games so far this series. You're coming off of a game here where you were pretty anemic offensively. You need more offense. I think Capocacco getting back into the top nine is probably, uh, you know, worth a shot at this point because you need more offense. And above all else, just bring the fire. Bring the fire that we saw from this team in Game 3, and especially in Game 4, feeding off of that energy from that hometown Madison Square Garden crowd. Bring the intensity, be ready to go, and be ready to lay it all on the line because there's no tomorrow if you don't win this one. And, you know, it's interesting. I have to talk again about that crazy streak that the Canes have going in the playoffs. They have now played 12 games. They have won all all of their home games, which would now be, let's see, that would be seven home games, and they have lost all five of their road games. Now, Ranger fans are going to hear that, and they're going to like that. It's going to be music to their ears, and understandably so. But the Rangers can't just rely on this stat to just kind of hold firm and, oh, well, you know, the Canes are on the road, so we're going to win. No, Rangers got to come out and bring it. And I, I think they will. I doubt very much that there are too many players on the Rangers that are thinking about, you know, that streak that's going on with the Carolina Hurricanes right now. But again, I think the Rangers get it done in Game 6, you know, and I, I'm not just BSing you guys. I said, I you know, going into Game 6 against the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh that I like the Rangers' chances. I said the same thing for Game 7 in that series. I like their chances here as well. I mean, at this point, how are you going to bet against this New York Ranger team if you've been a fan of this team all season? Again, the Canes have that bizarre streak, but more importantly, the Rangers are in their element right now. How many times this season and in the postseason has this Ranger team bounced back from a disappointing loss? It's honestly more times than we can possibly count, and this certainly qualifies as a disappointing loss. Rangers just couldn't find their A game or even really their B game in this one here tonight, but I think they're going to be a lot better at home for game six. Again, it's their MO. This is what they do. They have a rough game. They bounce back with a very strong performance in the next one and typically get the win. So they got to do it one more time, and they got to do it to keep their season alive, and I can't wait to see what happens. It's been a tremendously fun run so far in this postseason, you know, covering this team and talking Ranger hockey with all you guys. I am not ready for this to end. I am ready for the Rangers to once again put their best foot forward at home, force this thing back to Carolina for a game seven And anything can happen in a game seven, and you just take it from there. But obviously, they got to win this game six first, and I think they get the job done and, once again, bounce back from a tough performance, as they have done so many, many times this season. But that will do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Dot com and definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, this is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. In our next episode, we're going to be breaking down everything that happens in Game 6 between the Rangers and Canes. Now make your second listen, Locked On NHL. From first-round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked on NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts.